0: Ladies and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm your uncle, Daddy. I am Joe Stapleton. That guy over there—that's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Stars' anniversary, Joe. Happy Stars' anniversary. It's uh the big twenty, the twentieth yes. anniversary or twenty years of Poker Stars. Twentieth anniversary. Twentieth anniversary. And I guess I've been around for like eleven of them, more than half. I think I'm common law married. <laughs> to Poker Stars now and James Hardigan. 20 years of Poker Stars. So, why not today, my babies, turn back the clock just a little bit and talk to some of the folks who are there from the beginning? Today's episode the launch of Poker Stars and the birth of the EPT. That's right. Not one, not two, but three guests on today's show, all of whom were there from the start. One from PokerStars itself, two from the EPT.
1: We'll be talking to Terrence Chan, one of the first dozen or so. I think you're underselling this. I think Terrence was one of the very first. Like, I'm going to say one, two, or three. I would guess that maybe the first person outside of the Sheinbergs to be hired.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Great. Well, let's ask him later on. So we've got one of the first ever PokerStars employees, Terrence Chan, plus one of the first superstars to ever develop on the EPT, Luca Pagano, and the first ever voice of the EPT,
1: a fella by the name of Colin Murray. I am not the original. I'm following in the footsteps of Colin, looking forward to actually speaking to Colin for the first time ever on today's podcast. Wow, cool. Now. One thing missing from that lineup, Joe, is the yeah. Superfan versus Stapes segment. No Superfan this week. We had a late cancellation. That being said, this is a pretty packed show. We're not exactly lacking for content this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the—is that the first time we've ever not done Superfan versus Stapes?
1: No, there have been a couple of occasions. We've had okay. a, we've had two where the super didn't show up on the day, at least to be fair to this particular gentleman. He let me know a few days in advance.
0: And there was once I think the Stapes didn't show up on the day. So yeah, it would have been tough.
1: We don't talk about that. That episode
0: also. <laughs> All uh, right, guys please
1: apply yes suffice to say we do have our discord chats on the official pokestars discord server the link is in the podcast description we ask you to comment on the show ask questions of us make guest suggestions and yes apply to be super fan and let us know what you want your specialist subject to be i think we are booked up now to the end of 2021 but before you know it 2022 is going to be here and we're going to be like, who's coming on the podcast? I need to know. So yes. please apply.
0: And James definitely will. I'll be like, well, we're good to the end of the year. And then around December 1st, James will be like, well, who do we have lined up for February? I'm like, can we please just... So we we are willing to line up quite a few weeks in advance. So get, yeah. get in there, my babies.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so yes, this is a pretty packed show. So I think we should just get to it now. Our first guest, Terence Chan, you may know as a professional poker player. His accomplishments include multiple scoop titles, being called a moron by Phil Helmuth. Uh, You may also know him as a mixed martial arts fighter. You may also know him as one of the three hosts of Dat Poker Podcast. But as we've established, Terence was also one of the first ever PokerStars employees setting up the in-house customer service team Let's hear the story from the man himself rather than me tell it. Terence Chan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. It's uh, so awesome to be here with you guys.
2: I, I can't believe you guys are doing a, a 20th anniversary thing. That's just super cool. I mean, um, you know, like... For my entire adult life, essentially, Poker Stars has been a thing and I've watched it grow from, as you said, its infancy to now it's a now it's a twenty year old. It's it's yeah. you know, about to graduate college and uh, <laughs>
1: drink and, and
2: stuff. I mean, that's it's concerning.
1: And then it's gonna go out on its own, Terrence. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's <laughs> yeah. it's moved out of the house forever. It's gonna find a wife and do, do that it feels says, like but, it
0: happened a while ago. To be honest, <laughs> uh, it's kind of taken on a life of its own that I'm sure Terrence might not have imagined. Terrence, what exact number employee of Poker <laughs> Stars were you?
2: I don't have the I don't have the exact idea because. Um, Yes, I had all those software guys in the beginning, and I, I wasn't—I never got to meet exactly all of them. Um, but in terms of the customer support team at the time, there it was an, an outsourced, sort of contracted customer support at the very beginning. Uh, that that Mark um, was was sort of overseeing, and um, it was just an outsourced one. But they weren't employees; they were just contracted by Stars. So when I started doing customer support, I mean, it, in a sense. I was the first customer support person that was hired by Mark inside that actually, you know, got a paycheck from from that company, you know whatever whatever company it was at the time. Instead of being this outsourced company and then they kind of decided, okay, we need to bring this stuff in house because our needs are different than the typical, uh, you know, call center. This call center, you know, was contracted out to different casinos. Usually it was casinos, you know, right. you guys remember this was the era of sort of in or the early area of internet gambling at this point, where you know you'd see a, a casino ad tattooed to the, the boxer's feet or something like that, and you would go <laughs> to that website and like you just sign up for your hundred dollar deposit bonus and play slots. I mean, that's obviously a di- very different customer service challenge. From running a poker site, which is still a new thing in 2002. So yeah, yeah,
1: I was sort of the first customer service person, I guess. But also, I do think you are one of the first handful of employees, because it's not that I don't count the software guys, they were important. But strictly Mm. speaking, Peer was a separate company. As far as PokerStars was concerned, you were one of the OGs as far as the site was concerned
2: yeah that's definitely true and um you know i was i was in there uh you know with steve morrow and and guys like that in the very beginning um yeah i was i was probably for sure one of the the first you know real employees uh for, for what that meant and uh when we moved into our office in costa rica in 2002 we you know we had essentially zero employees of, of that company, um, right. the, the the customer service facing uh, company at that point.
0: So hold on. So did they find you? You were like working like at Macy's day after Christmas, <laughs> getting returns, and they were like, "We got it. This guy's a customer service genius. We got to book him." Well,
2: well, it's funny. I had been working retail in a mall, very close, not a Macy's, but I don't know if oh, you guys shit. remember. If you guys remember, uh, uh, Stapes will probably know a bit better than James because I don't think they ever made it over there, but uh, Rainforest Cafe – Oh shit. Oh, yeah. Yes. Wow. There is still a I, I Rainforest was...
1: Cafe at Piccadilly Circus. Yeah, there is. Well, oh, there was. Oh,
2: that yeah, yeah. They, they were international. I used to work at one of those in the mall. I, w- I mean, I was like Oh god. I was 18. I was very young when I started working for PokerStars. East I probably never had any idea how young I was. But um the way they found me was just posts on rec.gambling.poker. I mean, I was a kid who was obsessed with poker back then and I was always writing about, you know, poker just just like I do now, you know, just like people do a on twitter but instead, instead they did on rgp just just spouting their nonsense garbage opinions all over the place and he decided that my nonsense garbage opinions were less bad than other people's. <laughs> um that's
1: <laughs> a good re- bar to have right
2: yeah i was just like i'm less of an idiot than the rest of these guys i you guys gotta be like i have to choose from this lot um and he sent me a cold email out of nowhere and he said like hey i'm doing a thing uh can you phone me at this phone number and I was like, I have no idea who this was. I, I did a Google or what not, wasn't even Google. I probably did like a Lycos or an AltaVista search on you his name. You asked Jeeves I, about esai I, I did. Yeah. I asked Jeeves, who is this Isai Sheinberg? And uh, it, it said he had, you know, like something about IBM. And I was like, okay, he's, he's, he doesn't, there's no warrants out for his arrest. I'll give him a phone call. And uh, I did. And he told me that he had this very ambitious uh, strategy or plan to to start a poker site that would you know soon overtake Paradise Poker, I think was exact words, and I thought, wow, this this dude's pretty pretty confident in his thing. Um, and it turned out to be very prescient because I was sort of like, okay, man, sure. Cool. But I mean, like I said, I was a, I was an 18, 19 year old kid. I was like, I, anything to get my foot in the door of the poker world at this, at this point, I was, I was just over the moon to, to have, to get out of the rainforest cafe and, uh, and work for an actual poker site, something that I was passionate about.
1: So just trying to piece the timeline together Terence because you talk about that Costa Rica office opening in 2002 but the site went live in September 01 started dealing real money poker in December 01 how were you all working then if there was no office Oh we were
2: all working remotely like through the internet we did all of our business through uh, you know we're doing this call over Zoom which is kind of the default industry standard for business meetings we did that one we did back then over MSN messenger just just text I mean we were just all we all had her like I was like degenerate gambler at hotmail.com on MSN messenger and I communicated with the other customer support people and uh and the and like I said they were all casino guys so they would all have lots of questions like hey I got an email about this I got an email about that how do we deal with this and so I communicated through MSN messenger I make comm- Communicated with Mark and Esai and, you know, later on Steve Morrow and Lee Jones and Dan Goldman all through all through instant messenger. So you
0: were making decisions on how to handle customer service <clears throat> complaints. That was basically uh, what they were looking to for. Like, uh, OK, here is the issue that came up. What do we do as a result
2: of it? Yeah, because every, every situation was brand new back then. I mean, yeah. From, from how do we deal with just this guy who's lost this connection or, you know, we have this server crash or, you know, there would be bugs in those days. Like just a, just a weird thing. Like we dealt this guy out of a hand when he was, he just paid his big blind, like just weird stuff would happen. Yeah. Um, and we would have to do little, little rules things. I mean, back in the day, it would... It, even even so I'll take a step backwards. I started even before the customer service doing consulting on on even some of the software stuff, like based on like what we should name the site and what kind of theme it should have. Because, because poker stars was not the original idea. There was actually this idea of, of there were a couple of themes. There was like a Western-based theme that we threw around. Um, if you can get screenshots of that, I'm sure your viewers would think it's hilarious. Uh, poker stars morphed from something that was like galaxy poker and it had this like astronomical theme. And of course, you guys saw that go through with like the names of constellations on tables. Like a lot of that stuff was, was kept along, but it was sort of this uh, astronomical theme that eventually became poker stars. Um, But yeah, we, we, I mean, we had our, our back then we had just so few, People and even fewer poker people that anybody who knew anything about poker just we just had to throw an opinion on something and you know it was like what do we what do we do in this thing we should should the button move forward when a player busts in the small blind or should it just stay where it is and back then there wasn't the TDA to make all of this mm-hmm. stuff official we had to do so much stuff like just kind of like make it up as we go
1: yeah I mean exciting times in that regard and you talk sure. about the fact that the, the Deciding the name, even after launch, the name wasn't 100 percent nailed down. If you look at like snapshots of the website from the early days, so in some instances it's PokerStars two words. I did in that. Some, it's, I made it one word. I, <laughs> I normalized it to one word. Thank So Mark you. at some point asked me to
2: write down the rules. So like yeah, I have to do like the a bible. Rules yeah, like like how to play like seven card stud or whatever like that, you know. So you just have to have a page. You'd be like, okay, in seven card stud, you get two down and one up, and there's antes and blah blah blah. And I saw this this website, and I was like, it's Poker Stars here and Poker Stars here. I'm just gonna make it one word. It looks cooler. And uh, the, that is that is that is the one of the things I'm gonna de- definitely take credit for was standardizing the the one word Poker Stars.
1: Awesome. I mean, you talk about making stuff up as you go along. So you are suddenly faced with this challenge of creating. An in-house customer service team based in Costa Rica. I mean, you must have sat and thought, I've got no fucking idea how to do this, but hell, I'm gonna blag my way through it. Yeah, I mean, that was basically it. Uh it's the the thing is that like
2: it was one of the smartest things that Esai did was just getting poker players Hire obviously. me. <laughs> <laughs> no, just hiring poker players. It didn't have to be me, but just somebody who was passionate about yeah. it and was going to have empathy Care- and understand. And and just yeah, just understand what are the challenges, like why is it a big deal when this thing happens? Or what is the emotional frustration that results when you get ACEs snapped? Because that's not something that that if you just work in customer service sports book, you're 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 quite going to grasp. So one of the one of the fortunate things by making the decision to go to Costa Rica, and I'm sure this was intentional, but it was a workforce that spoke English very well. Um, and was highly educated and yes came cheaper than than most you know uh, you know sort of the the g7 g20 countries right we, we were able to hire people with advanced degrees you know people with degrees in English or in, in law and stuff like that and these were people that we were able to educate and bring up to speed very quickly on poker. so my first two weeks after we've kind of finished our round of hires we, we hired basically, I think six Costa Ricans and one American and that American, because he had played some poker and and the poker experience. And so me and the American guy, we just taught those six um, employees. This is how poker works. Small blind, big blind, you know, let's, let's just go through all of this and all the variants of poker. And you have to understand why this happened. And we played a lot of in-house poker for just that first week before we even started to talk about like how do we click reply buttons on these emails? Like how do we log into your system? That was just the most important thing for me to sort of under to get them to understand like, hey, why is it a big deal if if your hand gets folded due to some glitch? Or why is it we, why is it that people in in Potlum and Omaha back then they didn't understand that that you could play, you had to play two from your hand i mean you you guys we encounter this still to this day in okay. 2021
1: so i want to ask you about this terence because there is an urban legend that has been doing the rounds at stars for years that occasionally esai would go into the customer support inbox and would sometimes try and reply to questions himself and the rumor is that someone had a situation where they had the ace of spades in their hands in Omaha, and there were four spades on board, and they couldn't understand why they didn't win with a nut flush. And the rumor is that Isai's response was so rude and direct that it was then used as an example when training customer support staff <laughs> of how not to talk to customers.
2: I don't know that it was specifically used as an example of, of what not to do, but but Isai did have a very like direct uh, approach uh, <laughs> in, in emails. Most commonly, he wouldn't, he, those are the emails that he didn't answer that often. I mean, he would definitely go into customer service emails just to get a tempo and a flow of. What's coming in and what people are angry about? The ones that Esai really went after were, and you'll remember this from the the early two thousands, where everybody thought online poker was rigged, right? Yes. Like that it was rigged for action flops, and like every time you get kings, somebody's going to get aces or whatever silly thing, or aces are always going to get cracked by seven five suited or whatever. He would. Always, he would. It was his passion to go in there and explain like how randomness works and how uh, we have no incentive to to rig the deck and that we don't play like he, he. It was really a thing, but he was he was pretty aggressive about it, and it's a hard thing to even do properly, even if if you're not like because this is his baby. Like it's you can you can see that as as a personal attack on your integrity, like you created this thing and people are out there saying, you know, you're a cheating scumbag. That's a personal attack on your integrity. And his, his only thing was he took it a little bit, you know, too personally. And and it's, you you kind of have to, to back off that and step away and show a little empathy and just be like, yeah, it really does suck when your aces get cracked. Here's all the times you had aces. We made an aces and Kings report because this was happening so much so that he asked the programmers, Give me a report that just filters for every time this guy's been dealt pocket aces and pocket kings. This is like pre-poker tracker. Obviously, this is child's play now, but it was at the time. Everybody's like, "Oh, okay. Well, actually, you're you're 18 out of your last 23 when you've been dealt aces or kings or whatever." And we would go, "Here's all your hand histories of every time you got oh, dealt that's aces."
0: So funny, yeah, that's like, so funny. And, like, and it's hard Dude. to reason with that, but it's like <laughs> it did, it does
2: kind of shut people up. It's like, well, like okay, okay, sure, I won that pot where the guy flopped a set of nines and then I hit a river ace, sure, but we don't really don't think about those hands. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I think the most incredible thing, Terence, is how much you achieved so quickly. Because in the grand scheme of things, you weren't actually with the company for that long. And I'm going to say it's the rule that's still in place to this day, that employees can't play on stars that probably drove you away, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, to to some extent, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily that. It wasn't that I so much had a hankering to play in stars, but I did. I was, uh, what, what was I when I left? 23 years old. And I did want to play poker for a living. This is right after the moneymaker boom. And all most of my friends that I'd started playing in home games with, they were playing poker for a living. They were traveling the world, going to all these cool places. And I loved my time at Stars. I loved my time in the Costa Rica office, but it was a grind. It was a lot of hours. And you know, I still loved poker when I wasn't working. I would be playing on competitor sites, playing sit and goes, and I was making pretty good money at that too. And I was thought like, listen, my hourly is like really high. I want to be able to travel the world. I'm still 23 years old. I want to do this, but it was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I've ever done to to write that email to Mark and Esai and say like, you know, like thank you for everything you've done, but like I, I really I can't do both of these things. I'd, I'd love to do this, but I know the responsibilities. Of running customer service operation. They're, they're, they're too much. I want to, I want to play poker for a living. Like this is, and, and they understand they, they understood because like, what was the reason they hired me? Because I was passionate about the game. What yeah. was, what was what made me a good employee and, and good at what I did because I was passionate about the game. It's, you can't have that. And the other thing
1: as well. Yeah. You know? absolutely and of course then a weird sequence of events occurs joe i can't remember if i've told you about this before but terence stays in costa rica Becomes a representative of Team Costa Rica in the 2005 World Cup of Poker, mm-hmm. which is the first mm-hmm. TV gig I ever do for anyone. And I meant to do the commentary with Greg Raymer. Greg has to pull out for personal reasons at the last moment. So they're like, just find anyone and everyone who can sit in the booth with James. So I did like some commentary with Brad Willis, but I also did commentary with Terence, who was taking part in that competition as one of the Costa Rican players. And they're like, hey, we like that dynamic dynamic you two can do the world cup of poker for the next few years we became a double act Terence. we did it was
2: so much fun i mean i just i'm so fortunate that i got so many of these opportunities like obviously winning that seat on the costa rican team uh that was lucky because i think the first i don't remember exactly what it was but i think the first two were like uh there was like an fpp winner and then somebody who just won the tournament leaderboard and then the rest you basically had to play like heads up matches against the rest of your country and luckily costa rica not a huge country it's not like i had to beat. <laughs> i think i think the u.s states had like regions but like you know i didn't have to like win russia or something like that right uh or canada i would win costa rica but it was still hard and it was lucky but yeah that was that was super fun i loved doing commentary uh back then and um you know obviously the state of commentary has advanced so much james i'm sure if we threw one of those I've still got those DVDs on my shelf. I'm sure if we threw one in, oh. we would be cringing the entire time. Please but no. uh, I actually
0: but, always thought you were pretty good at commentary. Even, oh, you know, thank you. Look, no one was that good at bat at it back in the day. Don't get me wrong. And I thought you were one of the better people that I saw partnered with Hardigan. which kind of um, leads to a question. Uh, did you ever consider that being a career path uh, because You seemed really well suited for it. And just from what I knew of you and your personality, I would not have suspected you would have eventually chosen a career path of punching and kicking. I would have, I would have (laughs) thought that it would have been now, not to say there's no thinking in MMA. I get that there is, I get that it's still a game. I get that there's like a lot of strategy involved in it still, but what, so where did you make the decision to go that
2: physical direction rather than just a mental one? I don't think it was ever a decision. And, and, you know, I probably would have, (laughs) I would have loved to do commentary i mean i think any time that i was asked um to do it i did it but it wasn't you know you'll remember it wasn't quite as formalized most of the time right i mean i think the world cup of poker was an exception but a lot of the times you know even to this day poker commentary is still you know a a play a professional play-by-play guy and then they'll be like hey you you're a poker player you want to come in the booth for two hours and and talk about poker and i was always happy to be that guy but it never never even dawned on me and i don't think it it did for most people around that time that it was actually a viable thing that people would do full time or even close to full time or travel the circuit and do commentary um you know professional broadcasters like James probably it did but for for poker pros it was just like a thing that we did because we're Not for those years. I mean back yeah. in the,
1: that era Terence I was still doing the radio show it was a part-time gig it was supplementing income and again it was mm-hmm. me being able to talk about a subject I I loved I never thought it would actually evolve into a full-time career. And at the point yeah. it did, I'm like, this is really weird. No one ever had this in their career plan when I, when, when they were at school.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're, to, to be even the idea in 2002 that you would be a full-time poker commentator would be absurd. Yeah, um, But, uh, but uh, Stapes asked me about doing the MMA thing and it was yes. never an intentional decision. Um, I've always, I just sort of always like, liked martial arts movies and all that kind of thing. And my cousin's, uh, my cousin and my my close friend invited me to a jujitsu class and I started doing jujitsu, got into that and they, I would have I was- suspected that back at
0: the rainforest cafes when you first imagined choking people out. And, <laughs> I did uh, I did
2: work and- in retail, but it was I, I <laughs> but it was the, the the downside is the rainforest cafe. It's mostly like moms that get on your nerves and I'm not I wasn't about to choke out moms with four-year-olds. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, um it, it was it was just a thing where you know, I was grinding a lot of online poker in those days and I would just, I would just sit and play poker and sit and play poker. And I'm like, I have to do something physical and what it could have could have easily been yoga or jogging or whatever. But uh, but I got into what my friends were doing, which was jujitsu at the time I started doing jujitsu. And of course I think once you get okay at jujitsu, you're like, I wonder if I could beat someone in a real fight if they were trying to hit me. And then I was like, okay, like, let's train for this one fight. And then, you know, one fight turned into about 12, Uh, And then I became known as like the MMA guy in poker um, because I, because I think I did take it more seriously than the people, you know, not to say that the people who had like their one fight didn't take it seriously, but a lot of them, they had their one fight and they were like, okay, that's, that was fun. I did that bucket list checked off moving mm -hmm. on for whatever reason. When I did my one fight, I was like, yes, let's do that again. Um, I wasn't, you know, like all the, all the guys who have fought, I don't think most of them have fought since then. So that's how I sort of became the MMA guy. It's just, it drew, it drew me the way that poker uh, drew me when I was 18, I was like, I want to learn everything about this game. I want, there's, there's so much to learn. I want to learn so much about it. I want to do it. Um, What and and I knew also that there's a, there's a time cap on it. Unlike poker, I can always come back to poker theoretically, you know, you just, uh, especially in this age where there's so much information that you can study (laughs) poker with, but MMA is only going to be a thing I'm, probably going to do in my thirties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that comes a point where it's kind of no longer physically possible for mm. all of those years, post working for stars that you were on the poker circuit, obviously the game, the industry has gone through so many changes. You're kind of on the outside looking in the UIGA gets passed black Friday happens. I mean, are you kind of thinking at any point that what it would have been like to be at that business during those, during those periods?
2: I I absolutely thought about that a lot. Um, You know, as I saw people that I worked with, you know, they're in these, they're in these positions. Some of them are in the Isle of Man or London or or what have you. Um, You know, people that I hired on the ground floor, like I said, these really bright people who started off just answering basic emails and customer service, they, they became managers and directors. Um, You know, I, I obviously, you know, had those glancing thoughts. Like, I wonder where I would be in this company, Yeah, but I wouldn't have traded those, those interim years for anything, you know, just being able to travel the world and make friends from, you know, 2004 to, you know, past UIGA and all the way up to black Friday. That was so much fun. I mean, you know, you guys have interviewed so many poker players over the years and they'll tell you the best part is obviously the freedom um yeah. just to be able to do what you want and um i wouldn't have had that and you know i probably would have ended up in the isle of man and who knows how long i would have lasted there no <laughs> no, no offense to any manx who are uh, who are who are in on this i'm sure you guys love it there and I, I wish all the best for you guys but i don't think it would have been for me um you know despite its proximity to london and all the cool european cities i don't think that would have been for me but of course i do think about like how my my life would have changed and uh had, had i gone that road instead of
1: playing poker all the time imagine that they called and said terrence you want you to come back is there any role in the business is there any prospect you would ever consider doing it
2: um maybe i mean i do love what you guys do i mean i i, I do love creating content and I, we live in, in an age of such fantastic content and you guys do a great job and I, I, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, we have a podcast of our own because yeah. I'm one of the many egotistical fucks who likes to hear the sound of their own voice. Um, excuse me. I probably should have asked you if I could swear before. You can swear. <laughs>
0: also, we're all egotistical fucks here. So we can totally see our own.
2: Yeah. Like the content. I I really do like the the content creation side of what what poker has done and what sort of the Internet has done generally with. Um, it's marketing campaigns and and sort of it's because, because what you guys do and, you know, what we do on our podcast and what so much of this stuff is, is it's marketing without bling flagrant advertising, right? You're, you're sort of, you're creating content. That's that. Yes. You're promoting a product, but it's, you're not, you're not saying guys, you should play at poker stars. It's amazing. Here's where all the promotions of this weekend, you know, that you slip some of that in, but at the heart of it, you know, you're we're watching this really exciting final table. We're watching this story We're we're creating a piece about this poker pro's life, or we're doing a yeah. segment about what poker stars was like 20 years ago. You know, it's that that's fun to me because it's, it's, it's advertising, but it's not advertising. You're, you're still creating value for the people who are watching it and they're saying this is interesting and oh by the way i might also be interested in playing poker today
1: well just going to get on to talking about you as a poker player today and i guess juggling that with uh with with family life um but hopefully terence you do have time to play the big 20 finale taking place on sunday the 5th of december with five million dollars guaranteed and 500k in added value uh but no seriously um how much are you able to play juggling that with? Yeah, do you sneak in, in there, like the you hop
0: back in every once in a while on a Sunday or maybe a Monday night?
2: yeah i don't i don't play tournaments uh if i if i do i do hop in there and play cash other than w and scoop i'll i'll sort of i missed the limit hold them w for the first time since i think it's existed as oh, I, as as me not being an employee other than the, the first couple where i wasn't allowed to play um just because right. uh you know i just it just complete i was moved actually it was the day after my move that's why i missed it but yeah i will play like scoop and w coop limit hold them events uh i'll play cash and just evi- I, I love that that on stars that you can just play all the games. Uh, I don't think there's another site out there where you can still do that. Um, just, just mm-hmm. play an assortment of, of a game mix and stuff like that. So I like doing that. Um, it, you know, the, the urge is very infrequent and then I'll just get pulled in uh, like when short deck poker um, six plus poker started becoming a thing. I started, I started playing that and I got really into it for like two months straight. And then I quit again, cold Turkey. It's I'm very, I'm very hot and cold with that. Um, but I will I will do it. And of course, um, I did it. I did it before the World Series because uh, I was going to go down to play the 10k limit hold'em, and I was like, "Do I actually know how to play limit hold'em?" And I was like, "Well, I'll fire up Stars and I'll see what <laughs> see if I remember how to play this game." And uh, you know, luckily, I, I kind of. It's not that hard of a game. Do you, so,
0: do you get recognized in the online tables uh, when you do reappear for these things? Because you're you have like one of those names that's just like a like a like a. Unassigned. No numbers or anything,
2: right? Well, yeah, the thing is that, like, I think I'm in like the one-two limit holding, a two-four limit holding games. I think if it was like a 30-60 game that ran, uh that you know those those weeks, that it would have. But no, nobody. I don't think so. Maybe. I mean, if they did, they didn't say anything. People don't use the chat box also as much as they used they to. They really don't. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I do find it ironic to bring things full circle that you talk about the launch of Stars and everyone working on instant messenger and not having an office and here we see ourselves in 2021 where for reasons beyond our control everyone is communicating via instant messenger and isn't working in an office but you know uh hopefully the internet's
2: better now at least that's the good thing that's that is the good
1: thing that is the good thing there have been many positive changes with technology over the years which obviously makes a business like this much easier to operate um Terence, I can't tell you how much fun it's been to catch up again after all this time, and thank you for telling us what it was like back in the day at the launch of this sure. business, which is still going, and hopefully for all of our sakes and my pension, will still be going in another twenty uh, years.
2: Yeah, I, no, it's been great. Uh, I, I'm happy to go down memory lane any any time, and um, I'm really looking forward to see who else you guys uh, have have cobbled up, and uh, I will be watch- <laughs> I, I will be watching um, their their interviews. Um, I'm very excited to, to see what's happening. It's been, it's been a hell of a ride and I I'm, I'm a nostalgic person. So, uh, I love seeing, I love seeing stuff like this and contributing to it.
0: And I just want to say not only thanks for coming by, but thanks for always being so supportive. Cause I have a ton of respect for you. And when, uh, compliments come from you, they mean a, an awful lot. So thank you for always like keeping one eye
2: on oh, us. I, I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.
1: So we have celebrated the birth of PokerStars in 2001. This week, we are also celebrating the launch of the European Poker Tour. That happened in 2004. And who better to talk to about the early years of the tour than the original voice of the EPT? Yes, we are joined by the radio and TV presenter who called the play-by-play loudly and enthusiastically during those first few seasons. I consider myself to be the Roger Moore to his Sean Connery. Colin Murray, (laughs) welcome to the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think you might be more
3: the uh, the Pierce Brosnan, the my George Lazenby. Um, <laughs> I think you're way better than I was. I, I always like that that title when you're the original or something. It's only happened recently in my career. Now I'm in my forties, you know, and it kind of it's always a compliment the the first person, but it also means you're old. It also oh. means that you know well, that's the stage of your
1: career. I may have inherited the gig, column, but you're actually two years younger than me. No. So there you
3: go. Um, <laughs> wow! Now the that irony was, that, was, that must have been a hard paper round you had when <laughs> you were young.
0: I'm not. I'm nine years older than both of you, and I've uh, you know I'm still a rookie in this job. So you know, I'm the least experienced and the most grey.
1: Now, the irony is, despite the fact I think there was one season where we kind of shared commentary duties, we've never Mm. actually spoken before. So this is my first opportunity to thank you for becoming successful, talented and famous so that (laughs) I could have a career in the niche world of poker commentary. Fantastic. I'm more than happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess to go back to the very beginning, pre-EPT, what was your journey into poker? Cuz clearly you were a poker player and you were a poker fan before you got this gig.
3: Well, y- yes, yes I I think poker fan, yes. Poker player, eh, that would be debatable. Um, you know, sorry, what was
0: there to be a fan of <laughs> if until you were doing the EPT on <laughs> right, television?
3: Right. So there was only one thing, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it would have been so different for you, Joe. But back here, Channel Four, which had a history of taking gambles on things that people might want to watch, right? So like American football in the mid eighties, sumo wrestling, kabaddi, <laughs> and and here they were at the turn of the millennium. Just before they started showing this show, late night poker, which was ridiculous, right? Because we hadn't had that on our mainstream channels. This idea of watching under table cameras and and learning this game that wasn't played where I was from in Northern Ireland. There were no casinos. There, there was there, that didn't exist. So um, here was this show on TV, and in my early twenties. Me and some of my mates who would stay up late at night, that was, we were that age. We were young, we were reckless. So, whether we were finishing shifts at McDonald's or at the time, you know, working for a newspaper or DJing, we would sit around and have a few drinks or whatever. And we'd watch whatever was on late night, prisoner cell block H, <laughs> you know, late night poker. There yeah. was this thing that was fantastic. And we, so we started playing, a group of us started playing, but there was no poker chips in Northern Ireland. <laughs> you couldn't buy them. So we used to go to this pub where the, the guy who ran it, Dave, he would go into this big metal safe. We'd hand him 120 quid if there was six of us. And he'd give us a bag of pound coins. Then we'd all go and play <laughs> this game off the back of, you know, Devilfish and the Hendon Mob and all these new faces we were seeing in Channel 4. And the worst part of it was we'd try and play every week, but it would usually be more like every couple of weeks. If you won, you had the bag of coins and everyone would be like, don't cash them in, don't cash them in, keep them because we're going to have to go back to the bar again. <laughs> and then, of course, you'd be like, I need it for food or I need it for rent. So you'd cash <laughs> you'd cash in the coins then we'd have to do it all over again. So that was our first experience. It was like very DIY. And let me tell you, there was nothing cool about it. You know, we were giving up a Friday night out, you know, six guys to sit around a table and play this game that people were a little excited but perplexed about and not quite sure what it was. And that's where we started, like right at that origin moment of when, when that first came on TV, a few of us just got captivated with it. And it was such a struggle to play. And I don't think for the first six months we were playing anywhere near the rules of poker. <laughs> and we were just learning them as we went. So by the time I moved to London, that was only like maybe a year or two later, I got my first ever job in radio and TV. It was I am the most accidental radio and television presenter ever. Never part of my career plan, never something to plan to do. And here I was working for Radio One. So I would be between London and Belfast. And that was literally, you know, a year and a half after I think I started doing a show called The Session in Northern Ireland for Radio 1 after we started playing poker. So it is very much like if it was X-Men, it was like an origin story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what was just, it
0: about you that they liked that got you dragged into broadcasting?
3: You, you know what? There was, a, there was a show, Steve Lamack did, a very famous show with Joe Wiley called The Evening Session, and Radio 1 had a huge audience in England, but the Celts weren't having it. So they, they didn't have much oh. ratings in in Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, yet it's the BBC, right? Not You the were the BBC. token minority? Right. Well, they they broke up the Thursday night and Steve Lamac, as it was just him then, Joe Wiley had moved. She she did, uh, uh, sorry, Steve Lamac did the eight to 10 slot as usual, but we had on a Thursday night session in Northern Ireland, session in Wales and session in Scotland. So I was part of the team that did the session in Northern Ireland and they auditioned for guys. They found the girl very quickly, Donna Leg, She was great they auditioned for guys they couldn't they didn't like the first round of auditions i said no why would i want to do radio i'm happy doing what i'm doing is running clubs i was putting on unsigned and indie bands like snow patrol at that time Wow! and you know oh no i lost a lot of money on snow patrol i lost more <laughs> money on snow patrol than i lost on poker believe me um yeah upstairs at morrison's 50 people turning up you know three quid wow. ahead uh but um Yeah. And, and then I had said no, and they couldn't find a guy. And it was during, I think it was during one of the world cups. So I was putting loads of all nighters watching the football and I went down at like 10 AM, bleary, bleary eyed and, and did a, did an audition and got it. Didn't really know what it was about. So completely by accident, completely by accident.
1: Love it. Um, I mean, I was aware of you, obviously, as a Radio 1 presenter. And I think you were also doing some TV sport around the time the EPT was on, right? I think you were doing baseball on Channel 5?
3: American football um, with um, a guy called Mike Carlson, who's an American football legend and a late-night TV legend. And uh, he used to have this great trick because I was a maniac at that stage of my life. I was DJing at Radio 1. I was DJing at clubs. I was falling in to do radio shows on an hour's sleep. I would fall in to do the NFL on two hours' sleep all through the night. He had this great thing where he'd, because you come back all the time, as you know, guys from, from American football, Joe, you know, the breaks are all the time, right? And so we would have to pick up those breaks where you'd get adverts, we'd fill those bits in, and he would let me fall asleep. <laughs> and then just as the count was coming in the air, five, four, three, he'd shake me and go, We're on. And I'd go, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that Mike <laughs> and then he'd be a gent and he would do it. We used to have a lot of fun and we built a really good late night community in that show. So I'd done a little bit of that. I was you're right in thinking it was baseball. Cause I'm a huge baseball fan that that's my like, kind of number one sport from yeah. when I, I lived in Toronto in my early sort of mid teens. But yeah, that was a little bit of experience I had basically trying not to fall asleep
1: was Fantastic. the main thing. Fantastic. Well, I mean, if you want a guaranteed cure for insomnia, watching hour after hour of poker for many people would be the answer um that's the next obvious question how did the EPT gig come about is there any connection with the people you're working with on the American football I was thinking about this earlier of trying to rack
3: my brains how a man called John Duffy met me at some stage Uh and a lot of people probably have that same thought. How the hell did I meet that guy, John Duthie, at some stage? But what I do know is it wasn't long after I kind of had to decamp to London and I went to a poker night because I wanted to keep playing and here I was in this big city. and I went to a poker night at the Century Club in London Yep. and I met a couple of people. I met a girl called Shelley who introduced me to a lovely group of people that stayed friends for a long time. And I met a girl called Victoria who was involved in the running and she uh, took me under her wing a bit when I first moved over, Victoria Corin, and she would show me how to... you have heard uh, of her. Yeah, she's done all right, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember Victoria took me to a home game when I'd first moved to London. I think, listen, I don't think Victoria liked me much, but she definitely took pity on me, and, and I could see why, you know. And uh, she took me to... She said there's a home game happening. It's just like a sit-and-go, and it's like 50 quid each, and we're going to play a couple of rounds. It's all fun. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Now, I was very uncouth, you know. I I was dragged up rather than brought up. I just landed in London. Wagamama's was like this amazing experience to me. I remember going to Wagamama's around about that time and thinking, this is the
1: future, right? I was very <laughs> small time. I got- will not have a word said against Wagamama <laughs> to this day. Wagamama is a great dining experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
3: I was discovering things like you know, you know, vegetables. <laughs> and, and <laughs> in my early 20s and Victoria told me, took me to this home game with her friend Graham and I walked in and straight away I'm like it's Graham Lenihan who wrote and created Father Ted yeah. and I'm Irish right so there's no one like for me it was mind-blowing and I looked around the table and Louise the lead singer of Sleeper was there and a, a couple of people connected to Father Ted and I had, no, had never had experience of that type of room before you know and uh, I never get invited back. I like to think it was because I, I took their money. Yeah, but I think it was more because I was just so you know I, I'm I'm hyperactive. So imagine what it was like in my twenties. I was like, oh my god, I think I just talked to Adam about Father Ted the whole night. So so I got, sort of I was in that group somehow, like through meeting Victoria and Shelley, and Shelley knew John Duthie. And somewhere along the line, maybe at the Century, maybe at the Vic, where I'd started to go to play after my radio show at night, maybe, um, maybe I met John Duthie somewhere there, and he is a podcaster himself, of course. Uh, <laughs> but the origin story, I think, you know, for for Poker Stars, because here you had somebody who knew how to make a TV show. Yep. Right. So when it came to European Poker Tour, so you can have all the experience you want in the world of playing poker, or none of it, and loads of experience in TV. But how rare that there could be somebody that knew both so right. well, you know, I'd won RTS awards and drama knew his way around a, a, a TV set. And then also had won a million dollars. So, um, Although he only left the casino with about 200 of it. So Everyone's it's memories of
0: John are exactly the same. Like everyone knows the legend of John Duffy, like never leaves down, but never nearly well, as up as he should be. There is John
1: Duffy, the poker player. And then there is John Duffy, the pie gal player, the crown player, the roulette yeah,
3: player. Yeah. Yeah. I remember asking about, what did you do with it, John? What did you do with it? Like, you you know, I think he was Britain's first ever million dollar winner. What did you do with it? And he said, well, <laughs> a roulette table about half an hour after <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. But he he was definitely a wonderful anchor for it because he knew what it had to deliver in terms of TV terms, and then he knew how to keep it about the sport as well. And I think that was key. He was key to it. from what I remember. He there was two key people. There was John Duthie who sort of held everything together and always knew everything that was going on at, at any stage, and it was a very young, enthusiastic. I don't even know the job title, but she'd do everything, you know. If anything needed done, it was done. If something went wrong with organization, she was there. Everything. And she was called Francine Watson. No <laughs> idea.
0: <laughs> I was gonna guess Francine. No idea Watson. what
3: happened to Francine. I think career went downhill after <laughs> them. We haven't we haven't heard of her. But you know, that is a lovely thing. Actually, you know, she's risen so high up in Poker Stars, And but I you know, I I remember when I went in to do something not long ago, Poker Stars and people were asking her things as the boss and it was just blowing my mind. Right. Cause you, you, you put in a box, don't you in a time capsule, your image of somebody and yeah, your yeah. memories of somebody and we had lost touch. And, and then I went in and people were like, you know, francine what do i need to do about the expenditure in the northern region and i was like w- 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 what's going on here i just had to ask francine for a time
0: off today like she's always been my boss so you were she- asking her yeah. like do you think you could warm up this tea for me and i'm like do you think
3: i could have christmas off <laughs> So it's brilliant. I think it's great that, uh, you know, that is the origin of it. Like they are literally the two people that straight away in my mind, I'm like, they were the origin of it. Like they were the heartbeat of it that sort of were always putting in the hard miles and dealing with all the SH1T and, uh, you know, getting this thing off the ground. Um, It was very quickly, you felt part of it. You know, it was a nice little group. I always remember it, you know, as one of my first TV jobs. I think I was doing like, done a bit of NFL, done a show called EastEnders Reveal. <laughs> um on bbc choice and this you know wow so bbc3 uh,
1: before it was called bbc3 that uh, again
3: old <laughs> bbc <laughs> choice so little things like that you know but i do you know that i, I have no idea john dotty's not really a, a, a he, he's in it he just floats into people's lives and then before you know it, you're
1: working for him so it was kind of like that yeah yeah i did Do you have to audition for the show, or was it just kind of like we want you to do this?
3: I mean, the weird thing is, like, I wasn't, isn't, and never will be a commentator. So, and I was like young with no experience of commentating. So, somewhere I think he wanted like, Look, I've got we're gonna have a probe. I'll be John is so monosyllabic and he was beside me for the early episodes. Mm-hmm. And then we bring in people like the fossil man, Greg Raymer. And he again, you know, was was quite sort of you know more calm. Yeah. And I think he just wanted something that was not necessarily great commentary, but somebody who was genuinely just excited about it yeah. and loved it. And that was where I was at that time. I was playing every minute I could, I was trying to get better and better and better they would keep the hands away from me. Cause often the commentary went on after the event. It wasn't live commentary in those early episodes. Yep. So they would sort of plan the show and listen, you know, they're not going to put many rubbish hands in a highlights. So you knew, you know, there was great stuff coming, but they would keep away. They, you know, sometimes they tell me a little bit about it, but they keep the river away from me, but you knew it was common. <laughs> um, but so you were getting quite a lot of genuine reaction to it. And, and I had so little experience. I think, That's why it was so kind of raw and loud. I didn't know how to behave, you know, in TV
1: or radio, really, at that stage. I mean, I remember when those early shows came on Channel 5 and Eurosport, the first ever season of the EPT. And obviously loved your enthusiasm and just the energy that you brought to those shows. Now, here's a question, Colin. That story you told about playing in the pub with the bag of coins, is that the genesis of your ecstatic cry of bag of chips when Bjorn (laughs) Eric Glenn one EPT Barcelona. Because that's one of those moments of commentary. I'm like, I love it. I've no idea what it means. I don't get the context, but yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's- there was there was never anything written down.
3: There was never any like, this is what we're going to say. Because most of the time we didn't know what was going to happen. So like, yeah, just whatever I could sort of. I, you, you know this as well, guys, right? Like, you've only got the players and the, and the cards, you know, the 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 the, the cloth colour might change from event to event or, you know, you, you can be wherever you want. It doesn't matter whether you're in Barcelona or Doval, it You're just commentating on the same shot. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to find more than just he won, she won. It. So for me, I went Absolutely. probably too extreme the other way, but I don't think I <laughs> smash out the weird phrases you know like get get really into it and that's the thing I you know if you're watching it and you're a poker player you want to see respect at the table you want to see etiquette not when you're a commentator you know I want to see players come in and and, and annoy people there was one guy and I made some notes because I knew like I wouldn't remember names and I had to look it up because I could I couldn't remember his name but there was a guy called Sean Fanning who played in the early series. And I think he was one of the founders of Napster, right? Oh, oh, and he talked. Oh my God, you've never seen anything like it around a poker table. Oh,
1: was he the guy in the Monte Carlo show?
3: Yes, yes. Yes. And he annoyed every player he played with. And for those playing, they were just like, would you shut up for just... And he was (laughs) really brash and, you know, very talkative, but also brash with it, you know, there wasn't really a line with him. I loved it, you know, because here you had this thing coming to you that was like, you know, or, you know, there was always, there was, you were always looking for that. And that always helped as well in the commentary, you know, it's you someone like that, you know, giving it a lot. And he did, he did all right, as you say, didn't he? Yeah, I think yeah. He, did, he did all right. Yeah, but he annoyed everyone along the way. I mean,
1: over <laughs> the years, there have been many people who've had winning moments, big scores where maybe they're not the most deserving if we're yeah. going to look at them as human beings. But, you know, that, that doesn't play any part. Uh, Deserves got nothing to do with it, as they say. Put
3: put your money into property, then you know. If you turn up to play poker, you know you know the element of its skill, and you know that you can always get absolutely slapped in the face. And if 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 you're a better player over the year, you make way more money than the guy or the girl who 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 um, you know went fishing and got lucky. So those moments when a player just couldn't let it go, you know, because it didn't work out statistically the way it was meant to work out. Well, we'll buy a house. Do you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) You said that you had to go back and and check some of those old shows. I was going to ask if you have any standout memories of the EPT. Loads of little ones and loads of big ones and so many. I mean, Greg Raymer
3: was always somebody who was really took me under his wing, always helped me out. And, Greg's Greg Greg's a funny guy, like because he's a sandal and socks wearer, which yep. usually would rule him out of being a friend. Um, but he was a rare example of a <laughs> sandal and socks wear that you could get on with. But you just had to say to Greg, "So, tell me about your steaks." And that was it. He, like twenty minutes later, he used to cook steaks and he used to prepare them for like forty eight hours in bags, and he would just be able to talk forever about steaks. And I re- and uh, he was brilliant. And I remember in Monte Carlo. We were doing it. when the players get knocked out. They'd often do a sit and go, and they they go and play. You know the you know the ten players, hundred each, and I think it was eight hundred to the winner, two hundred to second or whatever. And he would always be like, "Right, Colin, we're doing it." So I would get to play with all these great players. I remember sitting down playing with Greg and beating him and taking the 800, and, and, and I said to him, I was giving him loads, right? Because I was familiar with him then, we'd done commentary, hey, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, giving him a ring on top of the standing on top of my chair and all. And he, he, said to, he said to me, Colin, play with me for 40 minutes and you can take my $100. Play with me for four hours and I'll take your house. <laughs> <laughs> so he was always for those type of lines. Um, God, there's, there's so many. There's so many stories. There's so many stories, big and small. There was once, and then you two have to stop me if this is I'm not allowed to say I won't say any players' names. But you see,
0: as you We guy- have a name for this. So whenever we uh, tell a story, we can't use the name, we say it's Sandy the Degenerate. Because right. Sandy is, is genderless and uh is yeah. is ageless. So well, Sandy did what?
3: There's two Sandys two involved Sandys. Okay. in this in this story, I have to say. Um because it's a bit like as you know, when you get any group of players over a period of time who play in all the same tournaments who travel throughout europe together throughout the world it's the same in formula one it's the same in the tennis tour it's the same in the poker they get to know each other it's a small world they stay in similar hotels and you get the gripes you get the rubbing of personalities you get the friendships and it becomes very kind of like villagey i think is the best way to describe it poker is no different but there was there was two players sandy one sandy two who used to play poker for, I think, $10,000 a hole. Sorry, used to play golf for $10,000 a hole. And they were really similar, and their handicaps were obviously quite accurate. So nobody ever won more than like 20, 30 grand every time they played. And they would always meet to play. So they meet to play, and Sandy won, wins like every hole right? He's playing out of his skin. So Sandy two's now find himself in a serious amount of debt. And after they finish playing, the story goes, myth, legend, truth, whatever it is that Sandy one goes, ha, I bluffed you. I had lessons from tiger woods. (laughs) Sandy two goes, well, you've cheated because your handicap isn't right. And he goes, I haven't played since. He says, yeah, but you've cheated. And he went, no, I've bluffed you. So Sandy one was trying to use poker parlance to say, I've just bluffed you. And Sandy two was like, you're not getting a penny off me. So this grew and grew and grew and became more of a beef between Sandy one and Sandy two. And eventually I'm hearing this and John Duffy's telling me this is terrible. They've got to play each other. There's going to be problems. And so eventually they convened a kangaroo court of senior (laughs) poker players drop sandy one and sandy two into this hotel suite. I think a Monte Carlo. I might be wrong about that, but I think it's a Monte Carlo. And they then, as a like a like an unelected, like (laughs) Supreme Court decided the amount of money that sandy Two would have to play sandy one amazing want. and that's amazing. it i mean you aren't dealing with a bunch of librarians no offense to librarians great people and you know libraries give us power and all that but you hey, the librarian with- tribunal
0: you know. can get pretty <laughs> serious too
3: <laughs> it's true but th- these these guys are are poker players you know so they there was that's not the only story you know and it, it, it's like there was a feeling in the wild west involved and kind of looked after themselves not in a a hugely dangerous way but like there was an edge and that was exciting in your 20s to be a kind of little part of that and it was there was always a kind of feeling of you know that it was huge and here's this thing that changed the way people looked at poker which was you go to vegas to be a poker player you go to america to be a poker player and now well actually you guys are coming here that was huge yeah good, you know, and relatively the prize money was really important at that time and getting bigger and bigger. So it was an amazingly important event, but it did have also, it was big. And at the same time, it was a little village, just like Formula One would be today. You know, They, they, they live beside each other and they get in each other's hair and it was similar. And I loved all that.
1: Fantastic. I mean, obviously you've done so much in TV and radio over the course of the last 15 years. Does anyone still bring up the poker? Does anyone still mention the EPT to this day? Yeah, you do get a random, like
3: you will get a random person just going, oh, I remember you used to do the poker back in the day. Yeah, you always do get stuff like that. And I think it's it's weird because you can do something really, I don't get that many people mention match of the day too because it's kind of like, I'd only did it for a few years. It's generic. It's a football show. Yeah, it moves on. But if it's something that people love, you know, like a smaller audience that love it, you're more, I get more people come up to me and go, oh my God, I still love your late night show on Radio 1. That made me, Get into this band, and the, the I think the European poker tour is the same as people have come. Go, oh my guys, to watch you late night. Start playing poker because of it, or I met my girlfriend because of it, or whatever it is. So yeah, you do. St- I, I, even this day, this day, not many, but when you do. They don't come up and go, by the way, they go, oh my God, I used to, yeah, you know, you're the mad guy, I used to do the the commentary. So yeah, you do get a little bit of it still. And in Europe, you, you get the old personal say to you because it went out there, you know. So I, I did the snooker for years and years there for Eurosport. I only left a couple of months ago. And that's, that's a, always a weird one because on Eurosport, it's a different market. You know, they were putting it out in Germany and France and and <laughs> so you'd be randomly in Poland and someone would be like, <laughs> poker, you know. <like>, <laughs>
0: Colin, of, of all the things you've done, right, poker and game shows and sports and uh, like a bunch of different sports, which one of them do you feel the most comfortable talking about and being like a pundit and an expert in?
3: Um, That's that's really interesting. For, for me, I don't think it's a sport. I feel most comfortable if I'm interviewing somebody over a long period of time and they're not media managed. That's my favorite, favorite thing. I think I'm good at it as well, which helps, but I'm just naturally over-inquisitive and over-observational. So I love taking somebody and over a period of like 45, 50 minutes, I've got a, a podcast for the BBC right now called Midnight Meets and we take loads of different people and it'll be like Dionne Warwick one week, it'll be Sparks wow. the next week, it'll be Flaming Lips the next week, it'll be, you know, Ugo Monje the next week. So it goes Sport, it'll be Irvin Welsh the week after. So we really mix it up. But they all have that same thing connected to it, where it's sport, music, film, literature, television, whatever it is, is like over a period of 45 to 50 minutes-ish. You, can you get their character out? Like, can you let the audience, regardless of what they say and what you ask them, do the audience go away going, I know who that person is? And that's a bit of a lost art now, isn't it? Because we don't get that time with the big superstars. You, you know, we, we were so close to the football stars in the 80s and the early 90s and as the years go on, you know, if you get five minutes with a Leeds United defender, you're doing well, you know. So unless you're James Corden or you're, you know, what, Jonathan Ross, you're probably not going to get that time to really get into the sports stars. So I, I love it when I'm interviewing people from that and I find out a little bit more. I think in terms of being comfortable now, it would be, I've done uh, five years of the EFL, so Championship League 1 and League 2, and that's very much like I love the real communities of it. I, I love having to properly, obsessively make sure that I don't, I'm not generic about Scunthorpe, you know, or I'm not generic about Carlisle United. That I treat them in the same way I would treat covering That's Manchester cool. City, and yeah. I love that. That's probably where I'm most comfortable when I'm talking to people about those leagues, and because I feel like there's a real, I think there's there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of community at the heart of it. So, like when Wigan were taken over and put into administration last year within like 24 hours, which was just ridiculous and disgraceful. You know, I'm able to write about it. I'm able to talk about it. I'm, yeah. I'm able to understand the fans and not be generic. And I love that journalism side of it more. So that that's probably a, the most long winded answer to a simple question. I no,
0: that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. I, I have one more question, which you probably can't give a specific story on, but maybe you can. Of all the shows you've done, have you ever been on set somewhere and been like, holy shit, this show is a fucking disaster. I have to get out of here.
1: <laughs> EPT season one, episode um, one. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've definitely worked in disastrous
3: shows. Yeah, I mean, I when Channel 4 had a show called The Big Breakfast, it was really successful. And I don't mean this disparage that anyone was involved in it, but it, the show that replaced it was called Rise. And yeah. uh, I was on it um, for about a month, uh, maybe two. I think my agent after like three shows like more you need to get out because it (laughs) will damage your career um so i got out early but that that was definitely you knew that wasn't working uh from the start that's the one that really really jumps out but i'm a radio boy always will be like that's that was where i accidentally started and, and to this day that's where i feel most at home because i'm very private like i'll talk a lot and i'm loud but i'm actually hugely private so I've managed to do 20 years I think without ever talking about anything
1: in my private I, life. You know what I mean like I so, hear you Colin. I, like, I miss I miss radio to this day. That's the, my one yeah. regret we're, is that I we're don't do radio, radio guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean and look, I guess that's one of the things I love still about doing this podcast even though right. there's a video element to it it's still no, kind of like a radio show. 100%. 100%. Show. Yeah.
3: 100%. You yeah. can You can say, I'm going to talk to you about this. I'm going to talk to you about that. You can go wherever you want with it. There's nobody saying, hey, it has to be five minutes and then you need to link into this overproduced package. (laughs) (laughs) slow-mos of me throughout the year
1: (laughs) throughout the years let's have a look at your best bits you know all that bollocks well I can tell you your best bits still exist in our archive and obviously we still (laughs) wheel out great hands from EPT history Alexander Stevich's winning moment for example from the very first EPT so (laughs) you're always going to be a part of the European Poker Tour and every now and then if Joe and I are doing a stream there'll always be someone who'll write in the chat when are you guys going to bring back Colin Murphy (laughs)
3: <laughs> Do you
1: know what it's funny I it gets to the time where you're
3: like it no longer annoys me so it, it, for, it, to this day that's just what i am you know and i get that i get the like you know 56.8 percent of people i will always be colin murphy <laughs> to, to some of those i am colin murphy so that, that that's that's ev- that's even worse you know what the i mean double whammy <laughs> yeah but no i'm always happy to talk about that period of time it, it was a lot of you know, I met a lot of fun people and it's funny, I was looking today and sort of looking at some of the names and, and all the memories are coming back, like Marcel Lusk and he had all yeah. these kids running about that he seemed to be training to be the next stars and Noah Borkin and people like that and I think he even won one at some stage and there was a Finnish guy and um, I mean, Patrick Antonius, I remember him absolutely won in a young tournament, and Jeff Williams, who won the second EPT, that pissed so many people off. He would like he was a kid. He had fuzzy hair. He had glasses. He, it was, he was basically screeched from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> and, like I loved that, and he was young, and he was just, and you could just see the older players. Who do you think you are? Nineteen years old? I mean, he couldn't have. I think he couldn't have won it in america could he
1: no he wouldn't he he wasn't wasn't able to play i think he was either 18 or just turned 19 so legal to play in europe but not in the us so here's the weird thing colin some of those names you mentioned many of them still on the scene to this day jeff williams i don't think anyone's seen or heard from him for many years but noah boken uh we've been covering a lot of online poker in the last 80 months funnily enough with the absence of the ept noah won a huge title earlier this year, so we were able to talk to him about that and the fact that, you know, he plays very little these days, but still is a very successful player. My favourite story is when the casinos reopened in London after lockdown yeah. ended, they did like a one hundred and fifty pound event at the Vic. Ram Vaswani won it for four <laughs> grand. So you know, it's great to see these guys are still out there and still yeah. winning stuff. Fifteen, sixteen years later. Well, Sandy, sorry, Ram Vaswani, he
3: he was. I uh, was good.
0: I, <laughs> I I wanted to, to I wanted to impress you later and be like, I know who those two Sandys were. I remember when that
3: <laughs> happened. Um, he was. They were great. Actually, that lot. They were always very good to me as well. I remember that a lot, and I think. I, I think it was Rammer, one of those players used to bring his girlfriend with him and and we used to sit and chat a lot and keep each other company and stuff like that. And I should note, not to get into it, but I should note that, you know, I mentioned earlier Francine and I mentioned earlier John, but those early series, we had uh, Caroline Flack presented the first series. That's where I met her. So that's my one, two and three of the most important things that happened to me in the European Poker Tour. Uh, Natalie Pinkham presented. Yes. She was fantastic. Um, and they were—they both were so enthusiastic about doing it, and they were so loved by the team. They really fitted in to kind of like Francine and uh, and John and myself, and they were very much part of it. I just want to mark that obviously that they were they were a huge part of those early days.
1: Yeah, I mean we. We did some live streams last year, looking back at the early years of the EPT, and It was great to be reminded of Caroline's work on the yeah. tour as well. Um, Colin, thank you so much for giving up your time today. It's been awesome to talk to you. It's all been my you.
3: pleasure. It's I all love it.
1: looking for the offer. I'm looking forward to when you press stop so we can share all the, <laughs> all the names
3: of uh, The good everybody. stuff.
1: <laughs> but thank you. I always love reminiscing about that era. Me too. Happy day. Stay young. trying. Well, Colin listed a number of players from the early years of the European Poker Tour. It's time now to talk to one of those OGs, someone who made a big impact on the EPT right from the start. He was at the final table of the first event in Barcelona. He went on to make another final table that season. He went on to make five more FT's after that. He was a regular on the tour for more than a decade, one of the first ever team pros, and most importantly, he was immortalised in the EPT rap. It's Luca Pagano. Luca, how are you? Great, thank you. Thank you, James. Uh, Great to see you again.
0: Luca, this is, uh, I don't know, I have a big smile on my face. I'm just so happy to see you. You would always bring a smile to my face when I would see you on the tour. It's been a very long time. Thank you so much for doing this. I guess let's start at the beginning, beginning.
4: Before the EPT, what were you doing? What was your life like? I was a student, actually. I was studying uh, information technology, and then uh, suddenly I found myself playing poker professionally. I started playing online, and I remember when I was playing online uh, in, some, some, in some poker room, online poker room, that there were about uh, 15 or 20 tables, and I said, okay, this could be uh, a great business, 15, 20 tables at the same time. So I said, okay, let's start uh, spending a little bit of more time. And then, and then the rest is, is history. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I guess that since that day, the, the, the number of the poker tables and the poker rooms and the players in general uh, kind of skyrocketed. So, and I, I, was, I was really happy. I've been very, very proud to be being somehow part of this huge wave and maybe somehow also instrumental for the growth of poker, especially in Italy, I would say.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, you made the final table of that first ever event I met you for the first time in Deauville in 2005, which was your second final table appearance. So those kind of two big caches, those two deep runs um, combined with your good looks and winning personality meant you were one of the first team pros, right? I mean, you were wearing the patch come the World Series that summer
4: that's correct that's correct Uh, unfortunately i made uh, many uh, many final tables i never had the pleasure to win one of the apts so maybe that's uh, that's something part of my personal poker career that uh, i've never been able to actually lift uh, one of those trophies but uh, i'd like to say that i've been lucky enough and maybe also somehow smart enough to put some big effort to to be part of the of the of the tour since the very beginning i saw what was coming from the States uh, with, 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 with the World Poker Tour, with the WSOP. And they said, okay, this EPT may become something important. Uh, maybe it's worth to spend. And I think to remember that the buy-in of the Barcelona was 1,000 euro or 2,000 yes. euro. I said, okay, I'm going to invest uh, all those big money and let's see if he's going to make it. And yeah, uh, he was good and lucky enough to be there.
0: Luca, a a lot of us tend to look back on that time as like the glory days, the heyday. Oh, things were so great back then. Uh, Do you look at it that way?
4: Uh, Yes, somehow. Yes, honestly, because um, I I think that uh, those days... uh, kind of changed in, in, the, in the last uh, few years, but I don't want to say in a bad way, it was just different. I remember that uh, I was going to the States with $1,500 uh, in, in the pocket, uh, hoping to make uh, out of uh, a living out of these $1,500. And um, I remember that I was saving as much as possible. I was staying in the cheapest, in, in, in the worst hotel possible ever. <laughs> Uh, grinding up uh, the the want to limit all them uh, games at the bicycle. Um, so on, on on one side I was definitely struggling, <laughs> like every <laughs> poker player I would say. But at the same time I I do have the very very uh, good memories because that's 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 how uh, I would like to say I've become uh, a professional player. Uh, grinding up uh, all the way, starting from limit all them from the very small uh, games. Uh, playing a little bit online, putting a lot of effort into playing satellites to be able to afford to play the EPTs. So um, without that experience, uh, probably, very likely, I wouldn't be able to get to where I've been uh, in my poker career.
1: You referenced the fact that you never actually got to win a main event title. I mentioned how many final tables you made. Of course, you also for a long time had the record number of caches on the EPT as well. But more than that, you see the number of players who come and go, be they sponsored pros, be they EPT winners, be they EPT finalists. The fact that you were still on the circuit, still making deep runs, still caching, still making final tables... 10 years after the tour started, that is an accomplishment in itself, staying relevant in a game that's constantly evolving and many people would say constantly getting harder.
4: Absolutely, yes. And that's maybe somehow the excuse for myself for not uh, having become uh, the type of players that uh, lift trophies. But I'd would, I would like to say that um, to be a very professional players to be able to survive for such a long period, uh, To be uh, be consistent in the results, uh, I do have the feeling that uh, you must have the right mindset. And I think that that's quite common in professional players today. But also that goes along together with with a very specific approach to the game. Um, So that was maybe the compromise that I had to go through my poker career, right? So uh, being very um, speculative somehow, but also uh, very... Very cautious in some decisions. Uh, maybe I've paid uh, in, in, in the bad way without lifting the trophies that my style of of game. Um, but that gave me the opportunity to survive for such a long time.
0: I don't know, man. That's very cool of you to say that maybe I was too conservative with my playing, and that's why I never won. I mean, I would just be like, I got unlucky, bro. I didn't run hot when I needed to. Like
4: it's 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 nice to I look will, to, uh, to look no, back. I know, and- no, I, uh, I, I agree. Sorry, sorry for interrupting you, but this is this is really something that I do really care. Saying that um, uh, I probably have been unlucky in specific uh, spots, but I also have to recognize that if I've been able to make seven final tables, it was because I was also running uh, running good. So maybe maybe what I, I should have changed was a change of style. Uh, with the different stages of the tournaments. Having said that, guys, having said that, uh, the APT is still uh, running. Uh, I think that now with, with with the pandemic, with the COVID situation getting better, the APT is going back... Uh, um, on track and uh, guys I'll be back on track as well. And uh, who knows, maybe, maybe who knows, maybe my, my poker story, my poker career, uh, still have something interesting to write. Maybe a trophy. Who knows?
1: That'd be awesome. Luca comes out of retirement and finally seals, seals the deal after yeah. after all these years. I didn't
4: retire. Come on, guys. I didn't retire. <laughs> I, took, uh, uh, I just took a different detour. I focused on something else, something that uh, it may seem very different, but uh, is not different at all. And I'm talking about esports in general. Uh, happy to give you some insight about that, but uh, guys, uh, no, let's let's it, go it, there. I want stuff.
0: the insight into esports. It seems like as good a good time as any in this in this conversation to uh, to talk about Clash. Talk about uh, what caused you to make that. So we we won't even call it a leap, right? Because it's sort of uh, a logical step. But talk us through that.
4: So when um, when 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 I saw that uh, esports was really booming uh, all around the world, uh, I I perceived that uh, uh, there were some some very similar dynamics uh, uh, that uh, I I picked when when I was starting my poker career. So I saw that there were some ingredients that uh, could have uh, actually brought the esports industry to to the next level, and that's exactly what is happening. So that's when I decided to focus more on my. Entrepreneurial uh, kind of uh, passion. So I invested all my winnings uh, in Clash, Clash Esports with the queue. Uh, but uh, honestly, and that's not a secret, I mean, it should be a secret, but it's not going to be a secret anymore. Uh, after, the, after, after this interview. I just have applied uh, to clashing in this part, uh, what was my learning in the, in the poker industry. At the end of the day, the, the, the game is obviously very different. Uh, I mean, there's no poker. or It's not yet, but there are many different games. But uh, the way that uh, kids, players engage with each other, so it's exactly the same. Uh, the importance of the professional players is exactly the same that I've appreciated being an ambassador of poker stars uh, the importance of the online events and then the live finals uh, is exactly what we've been appreciating yeah. uh, with, 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 with with poker stars uh, online and then the Ept so for me it was just a matter of uh, of um, transferring and adjusting a bit obviously my learnings uh, and trying to apply all the good uh, all the good learnings having said that, uh, Uh, There are a lot of connections with the poker world in Clash because uh, I am uh, uh, the co-founder of Clash. Together with me, there is also Eugene Kachalov, another, uh, let's say, former professional player, but he's not former that much because uh, I know that the guy is is going back on track as well. But among the investors, we have uh, Phil Elmut, Daniel Negreanu, uh, Daniel Cates, uh, Jeff Gross. So, um wow. i'm bringing I'm, I'm bringing on board uh, in the in the in the in this esport uh, journey all my poker connections and when i pitch them uh what's the what's the secret sauce uh, at clash esport uh, they do actually buy they see they see what we're trying to to build uh, and they understand because that's exactly what uh what we have been uh, um, appreciating uh, with the poker boom. So having said that, guys, I think that uh, we are getting to a place where poker and esports are getting closer and closer, maybe under a bigger umbrella, bigger category called entertainment. Sure. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if in uh, one year from now, two years from now, you're going to see poker tournaments in one room and esport tournaments uh, just next door. Um, and obviously, that is going to be a, a huge opportunity for myself that uh, I don't want to miss. So, I'm actually trying to push uh, the combination of these two words. It's going to be tricky in the beginning, yeah. uh, but I know that uh, it could work
1: uh, amazingly well. But this is something you've always done, Luca. You've always taken an interest in the business side because, of course, Pagano events became a thing, right? You weren't satisfied to just be a professional poker player and just take the poker stars dollar for repping the site. You thought, I'm also going to run my own poker events as well.
4: Yes, that's actually probably my biggest problem in life in general that uh, I tended to to convert my passion, my hobbies uh, into <laughs> a job uh, that, uh, on one side, gives me the opportunity to appreciate uh, the, the standpoint of a player, what a player needs, so I can somehow visualize and perceive uh, what is the right service to offer or, or to deliver as an experience. Uh, the downside, obviously, is that uh, when when you convert your passion into a job. Uh, um, Is not anymore that pleasant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It seems like a good idea at the time. Um, Let's accentuate the positive then. And obviously part of this celebration of the Big 20, of our 20th anniversary, is taking that walk down memory lane. Of the various EPTs you played, of the final tables you made, of the various places in the world you went, are there any standout memories? Are there any standout moments you go, yeah, that for me was... The absolute peak of, of my um, poker yeah. life.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, I would I would say two, two, two moments. Definitely the first tournament, the one in Barcelona, because that was definitely a, um, a life changer for myself because that gave me the opportunity to start dealing with poker stars, being recognized, start doing interviews. So obviously my career uh, very likely started from from that event. Uh, even if uh, the the third prize was maybe 10k, 15k, so definitely nothing compared to 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 what we can win uh, or get today in the poker in the poker space, uh, but in terms of reputation and awareness, that was my moment. And then, obviously, the, the second uh, moment, my highlight, I would say, was the final table uh, in Monte Carlo when I yeah. finished sixth. Finishing sixth, uh, I, I got three hundred or four hundred k, which compared to two years or three years before with, with Barcelona, I was completely different. A uh, different, different game a different industry different figures but uh, i keep thinking somehow what uh, what could have happened in my life uh, not just in my pocket career but in my life uh, if i was going to win a coin flip that i lost in the final table that probably would have uh, kind of secured my my winning my trophy and that was uh, a 2.1 million first prize
1: it was (laughs) it was absolutely huge that year it was the season four grand final won by Glenn Chorney and I remember that flip Luca and I remember the look on your face when you lost that hand which I think is only equaled and possibly rivaled by Elke's many looks of desperation yeah when he's lost flips or come second in poker tournaments just like this shouldn't happen this not now this is meant to be my time
4: James, let's put it this way. Um, and again, maybe it's a way for me to console it myself. But uh, maybe winning with tournaments, uh, I wouldn't have uh, the opportunity or the or the or the um, willingness to jump into the esports wagon. And uh, who knows? Maybe I not have, uh, or I'm not going to have the opportunity to sell Clash for some billion uh, uh, euros. So um, that's 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 how I always intended poker. It's kind of. Um, <sighs> I don't want to say that I believe in destiny, but uh, I like to give a sense uh, to all the good and also the bad things that uh, has happened in my life, but also in the poker and the poker journey. So I take it uh, in that way, and honestly, that gave me always the the strength to 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 recover. Uh, I do believe that um, uh, the the real strong people are recognized uh, not for their winnings, but for the way that uh, they can recover uh the big loss uh, or or the big uh, um missed winnings
1: yeah um two questions about the kind of the glory days how many times do you think you noticed a camera was pointing at you and you winked to that camera (laughs)
4: <laughs> uh, I would say probably all of them <laughs> it's, very important. it's very important to wing the camera guys very very important <laughs> it's something that we should we should teach the young kids uh, how it's important to I'm going to work uh, in
1: more often yes. Yes. but some yes. people can yes. pull off a wink and some people can't for some people it's just damn creepy for Luca it was nothing but charming Um, the other thing I was going to say is that first final table in Barcelona if you were to play the game the same way you played that first EPT now, how well do you think you'd fare?
4: Honestly, I think that I played uh, pretty well that table. I don't think that I did uh, any major mistakes. Again, uh, considering my style of game, I think that I was very uh, coherent with, uh, with, with with that. So honestly, I don't think that uh, I would change anything. Um, even would against today's it?
0: competition, you you don't think you you think you could play that exact same style you had back then? Like when we see you come back to poker in the next year or two,
4: it would be too easy to say yes. And maybe that was the right moment to play more aggressive in certain spots. Uh, people were just playing—I uh, don't want to say randomly, but uh, more tight. So. Probably yes, but uh, again, I I don't want to look uh, back and say uh, I would have changed that uh, because that would have changed uh, the way and the person that I am today. So I'm totally fine with that. Uh, and uh, um, again, guys, uh, I do believe that uh, my pocket career is not uh, terminated. It's just on hold for other priorities. And uh, think about uh, if we could make some good results uh, in, a few, in a few years from now. I think that... Um, that's that's what that's how I always explained poker when uh, when I was trying to 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 talk about and explain the, the, the nature of the game. Uh, we should not consider the poker game just uh, as a single hand. We should not consider poker as a single uh, game uh, or a tournament. We should consider poker as a whole career. So not just one year, yeah. but maybe ten, twenty years. So uh, let's talk in ten years from now, and and then we can see if uh, if uh, if I had uh, my my journey uh, direct in the right way. I still believe that's 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 something
1: very important. Well, as I said before, we'd love to see you back on the circuit, love to see you back on the EPT. Um, obviously, you've got into business with Eugene. Are there any other poker players, anyone you were on tour with back in the day who were on the Stars roster with who you're still in touch with who you still consider to be friends?
4: Yes, I mean, the Italian ones, obviously. Uh, I've been rooting uh, for uh, Dario San Martino while he was trying to win a uh, Kind of an important tournament <laughs> a <Yeah. laughs> couple of years ago. Must uh, Must Mustafa, Mustafa Khanit. Uh, um, I, I should maybe not consider it, but I do consider him as kind of a child of mine. Like uh, he started playing uh, not the IPT but the mini IPT. Uh, that was a format wow. that uh, we come up uh, out of the blue with Pagano Events uh, to give the opportunity to kids uh, to play important uh, tournaments just with a uh, 200 euro The guy granted that up, he made some good results he started making money in the IPT and then moved at to the European level so I would like to say that Kani owns me a lot <laughs> <laughs> and he still, by the way, you still have to invest in Clash, but I'm sure that I'm going to get him sooner or later in one way or the other I,
0: uh, Luca wanted to talk about uh, Clash for one second, talk about the present day. Just what sorts of games should we be looking out for? For those of us who understand the importance of esports and for uh, the natural coalescence between online poker and esports, what are the games that we should be watching uh, or we should be paying attention to?
4: So there are a lot of uh, card games. Um, obviously, I guess that uh, most of you guys uh, know Hearthstone, but there are other games like. Uh, I'm playing Nintendo. Hearthstone right
0: now during this during this interview. You see, you see. You see? <laughs> there, but there, are, there,
4: there are many others to come. So, but keep an eye on uh, mobile games uh, in general, because uh, I do have the feeling that that is going to be the next big thing in the esports industry. I do have the feeling that the, most of the organizations uh, are not really looking into it because they see that mobile is somehow um, kind of a cheaper yeah well yeah. exactly I mean a cheaper experience compared to desktop type of uh, game experience. it is not at all uh and I do have the feeling that if there is going to be some crossover between poker. And video games—that uh, uh, is going to start with some mobile experience. After all, guys, uh, how much we have played poker online uh, and with my, with our, with our mobile uh, devices. So, in terms of experience, uh, that's exactly what uh, we should start looking into.
1: Awesome, Luca. I wish you every success for the future with business and with poker. Uh, It was great to catch up with you after all this time. Obviously, I have very fond memories of seeing you at all those final tables of our interactions over the years. I believe we got to do the commentary for Jake Cody's final table in Deauville about 11 years ago. So that will always be a, a standout memory as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
4: Thank you to you guys. Thank you for having me here. Can I give you a wink?
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Luca Pagano. And Joe, that is our show.
0: Ah, Three guesses, all it took. Just about out of time for this week's show, my babies. Next week, it's the Poker Stars Big 20 Part 2. Yes! We're covering the poker boom and the launch of the big game, My Glory Days, and possibly even a little shark cage Possibly the uh, the glory days of Hearts and Stapes together. Yes, and we have got some big, big guests lined up. Now,
1: first of all, two rather than three, but the fact that those two are Antonio Esfendiari and Maria Ho means I don't think you should be disappointed.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. And if I we're having them, is we're on together this time, right? A four way. Oh, is that what we're doing? I don't know. Did we? Did we talk about that? I don't know. Possibly a four-way. We'll see. Um... Maybe Maria and Antonio have beef. Maybe it'll be like a Jerry Springer show. Yeah, I don't, don't know. Don't anyway. set
1: something up that's going to be an unmitigated disaster. If it makes more sense to do one after the other, we can follow that format.
0: Okay, no promises on on what sort of uh, <laughs> setup we're going to have. But we are having both Maria Ho and Antonio Esfandiari on the show next week. Once again, please use the Discord uh, to comment on the show if you want to submit a super fan application or maybe even a question for Antonio or Maria. Good point. Uh, but... We got to get out of here because uh, I got to prep for that. Antonio, I'm not going to lie, intimidates me quite a bit. So I want to be super prepared
1: (laughs) to talk to the I do find it entertaining, the interviews that you get nervous for.
0: Yeah, and that's the good news is that James typically isn't nervous when I am. So I get to lean on him. So next week, maybe James has to do all the talking. Anyway, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, this is Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.